0: As I look across this congregation, I see so many people and so many faces of people that I share a connection with, stories in my life, uh, connected to Claudia and I and my kids and and to this church. I mean, I I see people i have been over to your house and you've been over to mine, gone to play golf together, and uh, we've been on ski trips. Andy, I talked to you earlier today. We've been on a ski trip together, and he's a truck driver But I insisted whenever I was like 24 on driving the church bus back myself, so I would take all the liability on it. But we almost died like five times on the way back. It was a really bad ice storm. Remember that, Andy? Yeah, I almost killed you, my bad. Um, I I remember trips that we've taken to to all sorts of places across the United States. I remember service projects. Um, I've eaten with you. You've eaten with me. Um, We have... Been to the hospital together, we have cried together. We've literally laughed until we cried together, and there's so many stories just like that all across this congregation, weddings and funerals and and there even police stations. Okay, I get it, <laughs> but that's how wonderful it is to be a church and be a family, that we do life together, that we that we share this this beautiful and wonderful thing with each other that we call life, that you have love that I need and I have love that you need and together we will share the love that God has given us with the community around us that needs redemption and needs to see what God is all about through the lens of the church and through the lens of a family. Because I really truly believe that that redeemed people make up a family and the family is the smallest the smallest version of a church, a small group. And it takes healthy families to make up a healthy church. And it takes a healthy church to bring health and vitality and redemption to a, a community. And the, and the church is what God is using in order to bring his gospel to people. So the family is such a, an important part of that message of the gospel. It's an important part of of the living, breathing illustration of what it is to function in society as saved people. And that's what we're really going to be talking about all day this morning, is what it looks like to to be healthy in a family. And today's message is uh, going to focus on those healthy, uh, healthy roles within the family. Now, you probably have not heard many sermons focused in on this, but I just I want to I start off by telling you how I want to end up. This morning, I want to end up with a deeper, stronger commitment that we all stand and we all make a commitment together within our families to live and to love and to draw close to God and to draw our families close to each other and for us to be a part of a church family. That's the way it ends up. But in order to get there, I feel like we need to kind of go over what it really means to be a family and what it, the definitions and how families are actually put together in God's way. So in order to do that, we actually have to go all the way back to the beginning. I'm not talking about the beginning of your family, but I'm, I'm talking about the beginning of history, recorded history. In the first chapter of the first book of the Bible... We see the idea of community before creation was ever created. That's in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God has community with himself. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make humans, human beings, in our image to be like us. Now, what this is a re- in reference to is, that, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the adorable, head, uh, adorable Godhead uh, is the way scholars would perceive this, but we call it the Trinity. And we see God functioning as three distinct persons as one God, having community within himself. And so it's no surprise that God would choose to impart that sense of community into his creation, who he created to be in his likeness, and his image. There was complete and total unity within that community, total agreement. And that's the kind of agreement and unity that he calls for our community to be in, for our family to be in, for our church to be in. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, as we continue on with the creation story, we find out, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Let's pause right there. So God created man in his own image. He looked at everything and called it good, but then the one thing he said wasn't good was for man to be alone. Even though God had created man, and even though God had a relationship with man, God recognized that it was better for man to have a partner And so when we see that it's not good for man to be alone, it's telling us that it's God's ordination for a community, a relationship with another individual. And we'll find out who that individual is when we continue reading on. I will make a helper who is just right for him. We continue on in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to, to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. And It's amazing accounts of the creation of man and woman. We see that God made someone that was just right for the man. Just right in every way, in a perfect relationship with each other. As a helper for him, women were created, Eve was created, as the crown jewel of creation, the last in the order of creation to complement man. What a beautiful union that we find within that first couple. And it's the union, it's the, it's the account that God wishes to bring to each and every one of our experiences in marriage. Somebody in here is probably elbowing that person and you don't look like Adam. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that God wants to impart this, this beautiful union, this beautiful relationship With each other, Eve carried the purpose and the passion that Adam had. His passion became her passion. His purpose became her purpose, and she was there to help Adam in his endeavor that God had given them. And it's sad that this point in this moment in Scripture, from the very start of creation, has become such a contention in our culture and our society that we have in some evangelical circles uh, a mantra that says that God created Eve and not Steve. And and you've heard this before, and and you understand the connotation that that God created man and woman, not man and man, and that usually is associated with with what marriage looks like. And while I agree and I affirm that God created man and and woman, I want you, this morning, instead of taking a militant look at what that's like, I want you just to, for a moment, focus in on truly what is beautiful in this moment. That God created someone that was just right for Adam. Just right. And even today, there are people in this world that, that feel like God didn't create them just right. They feel like God created them and they... Maybe that if they, even if they believe in God, they feel like they were made wrong, that they carry the wrong gender identity. They feel like they, they are, are broken inside. They feel confused in their identity sexually. And I want you to know that even though there is so much confusion, I want to affirm to you a couple of things. This passage of scripture first points out the fact that God did create them male and female, which is... A look at what marriage is supposed to be like. One man and one woman. But then from that, we can look and we can find something else that's important. Is that there are only two genders that God created. One man and one woman. Now you can say, Pastor John, I, I see from what you're saying, I, I, I believe what you're saying, but, but where's the compassion in that? Can't you look out and see the society and see the world and see all the problems and the various situations that people are going through? They identify as different genders. Shouldn't we have compassion on those? Well, first of all, I would say this, that I completely affirm that there are two genders, male and female. And I, I completely affirm that God has created us to have a marriage between an, a man and a woman. But I think it's also important that we don't don't confuse the difference between gender and sexual attraction. And while I believe that marriage is between a male and a female, I also believe that people are sexually attracted in very unique and complex ways. It doesn't mean that we affirm their sexual attraction, but it means that we can recognize what they're going through. And as believers in Christ, compassion doesn't say that we should agree with what they're doing or with the sin that is in their life, but it does mean that we have compassion on them. And compassion doesn't say that we remain silent. Compassion means that we love and we speak to the truth in situations in all circumstances with God's love. There's no other way that God would choose to bring about healing in a person's life until somebody's confronted with a message of a gospel, and redemptive hope that we have in Christ. I need to tell you something that all sexual sin, all sexual sin sends you to the same place. It's just a different twist on the same sin. And so when we identify roles and relationships in the marriage, it is so interconnected with what Jesus had to say about it. Because Jesus, he says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 5, he says, haven't you read the scriptures? I want to stop right there with just that phrase. Haven't you read the scriptures? In this phrase, as Jesus is about to talk to his disciples in an unguarded, candid conversation with them, He's about to talk about marriage, and he's about to talk about gender. He's about to talk about identity. And he says, haven't you read the scriptures? Instead of Jesus sharing his own opinions or talking off the cuff, Jesus believed in the word of God. He used the word of God to combat wrong ideas and wrong thinking in the lives of people around him. And if the Word of God is good enough for Jesus, then you and I need to absorb and know the Word of God and allow it to become part of our lives and a part of, of our conversations in our culture and our society that help people understand our position. It's not okay just to give our opinion about what we believe is right or wrong. Jesus himself said, haven't you read the Scriptures? And what is to follow in Jesus' response is two different passages from Scriptures in association with gender, identity, and marriage. He says, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why why man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Now, I understand that there are objections in society and culture. And congregation, I don't think that we should be surprised when the world chooses to act like the world. I don't think that should catch us off guard. I don't think that should surprise us. But unfortunately, I'm surprised when the church doesn't act like the church. When we don't reach out in love and compassion and work to restore people's lives and restore hurt and restore pain and try to look beyond the sin and see the individual that we can bring and redeem because this speaks more than just identity because there are people that have been hurt. There are people that are confused inside because of lies from the enemy. There are people that are really struggling and suffering, and it's not just about sexual identity. It's about the identity that they have in Christ. And I want you to know that we find our identity not based as Christians. We find our identity not based in what the world has to say or what culture has to say or, or, or even what good people with good intentions talk about what right and wrong is. Our identity is firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the word of God. And so I understand and I sympathize with families that are struggling with people that are dealing with identity issues of all kinds. Not just gender, not just sexuality, but people that are truly struggling with who they are in Christ. And I want you to understand that because this topic of family is so interconnected and interwoven in gender identity and in submission that it it can be politically difficult. It can be culturally difficult. But God has not called us as a church to be confused on this matter. God has plainly told us in his word how we are not only to live our lives and how to feel about it, but how to reach out in compassion and bring restoration and healing to those that are hurting and in pain. And that's how we are to function as a church, as a family of God. Boy, I got off my notes there. (laughs) So God created them man and women, male and female. But there's more than just gender. There's more than just sexuality that is at play within the marriage roles. I want to move into marriage roles right now and talk about what it means to be husband and wife, not just to be man and woman, but to be husband and wife. There, there are different assignments in our, in our marriages. There are different assignments in our roles and responsibilities within that holy, sacred union. And in order to talk about it, we have to first understand, uh, or we have to first read Ephesians chapter 5, because I want you to see what God's word has to say about this matter, because it's not just my opinion. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want to stop right there and point out the fact that many times we, we go to verse 22. Because we're in a hurry to talk about women submit to your husbands. And you can feel the tension in the room right now. As we're about to talk about, the, I knew he was going to go there. <laughs> but, but verse 21, it, Paul starts out by saying that we are to submit to one another. Not in reverence to each other or even what some might say is to observe and appreciate the other unique gifts and talents that the other brings to the marriage role. That's that's baloney. We're to submit to one another out of our reverence for Christ. You see, family, family, Marriage works best when both people submit to each other and make Christ the center of their relationship. Now, I'm not saying that you won't ever see a marriage that lasts a long time with people that don't love the Lord, but the concept of submitting to one another, loving each other, works. And it works best when we submit it to each other in the Lord and make him the center of our relationship. That's the way that God intended for it to, to, to be, to happen. But there, I, I know that there's tension in the room because we're about to talk about women and their roles, but I've got great news. Hang on, women, with me. Hang on. Because, because as we read this, you're, you're gonna see what, what, what God has in mind and in store for the relationship. Verse 22 and on. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. I think it's so important to read both assignments, both roles in the same breath and not to break them up because it it works joined together with each other in the roles and the responsibilities that we find in marriage. We, we also find this idea of submission, not just submitting to one another, but for wives to submit to their husbands. I wanna talk about that really quickly because some people have this this weird and and disoriented and disjunctured view of what submit actually means. When we read the word submit, some people have this idea of this slave-master relationship. But wives submit as the church submits to Christ. Nowhere does Christ come and force the church to submit. Instead, submission by the church is supposed to be viewed in freedom and in joy. We have the freedom that we can submit to Christ, and we follow Christ out of joy in our hearts. And that fellowship, that submission to Christ, allows us to have peace in our hearts. And that same idea is wives to husbands, that they submit not as mindless servants, but submitting in joy and in freedom to do so. Now, when we read this passage, we also understand, um, or we can also see a, a, a submission within the role of the Trinity. And, and to give you a little bit of illustration of what submission looks like, even though you can be equal and be submitted, we can look at the community of God who, uh, in his Trinity, if you will with me, you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If we see that God the Father and God the Son are equal, then we also look at when Jesus was here on earth, he submitted his will unto the Father. Equal yet submissive within the Trinity. And if God allows that to happen in his community, of, the, of, of who he is, then you and I are to replicate that, are to model that within our marriage relationship, equal yet submissive under the authority of the man. But is there ever a time where the woman shouldn't be submissive? What, or is there a time where a woman shouldn't submit even when her husband isn't a Christian? The Bible even speaks on this in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 Peter says in the same way you wives must accept authority from of your husbands then even if some refuse to obey the good news your godly lives will speak to them without any words they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives when When you have a relationship, and husbands, that goes for you too. When you have a a relationship with your wives or a relationship with your husbands, that mutual submission or that submission from wives to husbands should still be extended to the unbelieving spouse so that your daily life will be a reflection of God's love and entice them and, and draw them into a belief in God by your actions, by your behavior. So that it's not just you telling, hey, you need to get in the car and get to church. You need to get saved. You need to start reading the Bible. You need to start doing this. You need to start doing that. I just wish that you would just lead our house in a godly way. And see, we can, we can fire those things off, and that, over time, pushes people away from the gospel. But instead, we're to love our spouse, and we're to woo them and draw them in by the beauty of our lives as we live in in within the scriptural context of how we're supposed to live now there are also other times where a woman shouldn't submit to her husband and it's scriptural we can find moments like Abigail and, and, and Nabal uh, with King David and and you could read those accounts for yourself or, or uh, Esther and the king of Persia or um, Uh, many other times in the Bible where it shows that a a husband isn't being godly and where a wife has to step in in that moment and choose to live for God instead of being completely submissive to her husband. But we can also see through biblical, biblical accounts where wives that were following and being submissive to their husbands when they shouldn't have been and the disaster brings on in their life like uh, Achan and his wife are Ananias and Sapphira. Moments when those wives were judged because they went along with their husband instead of living in a godly manner. And so submission stops when ungodly starts. It's important that we understand that that submission is not mindless, but it's out of love and it's out of freedom. And it's a, out of a desire that we raise godly children and a desire that we raise them in the context of a good, healthy relationship, in the context of community, in the context of church, and in family. That's where that submission comes and plays a part. But men, your role is different than your wives. As men, many of us were on our wedding day, standing at the aisle and waiting uh, for our bride to walk down to see her for the first time. She was dressed in white. I remember I, I broke down whenever I saw Claudia walking down the aisle for the very first time. But I, I've been privileged as a pastor to watch many people uh, to stand by their grooms as their brides walk in. And I know what's on their mind because they have told me what was on their mind at that moment. That Some of them were saying to themselves, out loud, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, <laughs> don't lock your knees. <laughs> Some of them were, were uh, turning around and say, you got the ring? <laughs> That's really, hey, hey, did you bring the ring? <laughs> and other people were just wondering where the keys were and how long they had to be there. <laughs> but I want you to know that there are many thoughts on our, as a man on your wedding day that you're having. But I hope that whether you got married in a church by a pastor or a judge at a court or, or, um, or maybe in a special place that was meaningful to you, I, I hope and I pray that when you were getting married that you in some way had the concept that you weren't just becoming a husband, but you were also becoming a pastor. Because men, your responsibility that goes into your wives and into the family that it will be developing is, is a responsibility of the pastor you were given authority, the headship of the home, but that authority wasn't for you just to come home and allow other people to serve you, but instead that authority was given to you so that you can be the greatest servant in your family. So that when you come home, you take on the responsibility and the role of loving and supporting and cherishing your wife. You take on the role of supporting them in every need, whether it be spiritual, emotional, or physical. Men, men, Your job is the inverted pyramid. Not where you're at the top, but where you are at the bottom and supporting everyone and everything as you carry them towards God's purpose for your family's life. Men, you have an an extremely important role because your role is that of Jesus to the church. You are to your family and Jesus laid his life down for the church his life that means everything that you have all the time nothing on the table it goes down and it's given to her it's given to your kids there's nothing that you leave there's nothing that you hold back you have everything and you give it and you give it to her what a powerful explanation of what it means to be the head of the home that you give everything, even and up to your life. You want to bring restoration and healing into your marriage that is in trouble? You begin to submit your life to her. You begin to emotionally invest in her and spiritually invest. You begin to pour yourself out as the biggest servant in your home, and then you'll see change and dynamic of who you are and where your family is. You wanna see redemption brought? You wanna see health and life brought back? You pour yourself out, you lay your life down, and then you'll see a return on those investments. See, love is about uh, submitting to each other in marriage, but marriage is not the only aspect of a family. We also turn to children because as we read in the Bible, we find that children are uh, to go forth and multiply is the very first command that we receive in Scripture. And I'm excited about that when I'm doing my part with four kids. (laughs) Be fruitful and multiply. But to to think to myself that I'm responsible for shaping a life and the soul of another human being. What an awesome responsibility that is. And that's a responsibility that God has entrusted to each and every one of us. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 explains this, that children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. And I have to remind myself this at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm changing diapers, that God is rewarding me. (laughs) I hope that God doesn't ever punish me. (laughs) But I, I want you to understand this that our role and responsibility in marriage is not only just to ourselves, to, from husband to wife and wife to husband, but also from parents to children. The Bible tells us that, we, well, we see all through Scripture, the roles and responsibilities of a children, and we see the ages and the classifications of people. In the Bible, we see that there are parents. We see that there are elderly and we see that there are children. Okay, I, I point this out because I have a I have a, an infant Roman. I have a, a ta- we have a toddler uh, crew. We have a child Johnny, six years old, and somebody is about to turn nine. Harper, she's about to be preteen, and she reminds me that nine years old is the start of preteens. She's excited about that. But, but the issue is is that the Bible doesn't distinguish between those roles and responsibilities of a child. It simply calls them children. And there are some children in this place that live in your parents' home. And I I have to remind you that the word of God tells you that you are to obey your parents and that this is the first command with a promise. In Ephesians chapter six, one through four, it says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for your life and you will have a long life on earth. Now, I'll stop right there because I want to explain something to you really quickly. You'll have a long life on earth, and this is a a promised commandment because God has given a parent a unique desire to see their children do better in life than they did, to raise them in a proper way. Also, you'll live long on the earth because your parents won't kill you. You're welcome, parents. (laughs) But it's a promise from from God to us and as children no matter how old you are even if you're a teenager or you're an older teenager just about to turn adult your job hasn't been changed that you're to obey and honor your parents but you see parents aren't perfect because verse four continues on. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. You see, if you're sitting there and you're a child, if you're a teenager and you say, well, Pastor John, you don't know my parents. My parents are not perfect people. It's tough to live in my house. I feel like I need to remind you that if, if your parents aren't perfect, and they're the ones raising you, you're not perfect either, and they're trying. But your job doesn't change, it's yours to honor and obey them. But watch this, and it's very important. Parents, especially fathers, love your kids, love them. Did you know that your, your children receive their understanding of who God is by view, their view of their father? That's where they get their concept of God, psychologically speaking. And as parents, our job is to love them and to nurture them, not to do things that cause them to get angry or put them in situations that are hurtful or harmful, but instead to bring them up in discipline and understanding who God is by the way that we treat them but I wanna show you something else that we also have a a unique responsibility as parents in Proverbs 22, verse six, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. You're called to train your child. You are called to train your child. Not the government, Not, not the school not the teacher, not the church. It's your responsibility to train your child. That's why it's so important as people of God that we determine who we allow to speak and influence our children's lives. It's so important for us to take that responsibility on and to know what's going on in the classroom of our children. To allow our voice to be the most important to them not the app not the youtube not the facebook not the instagram i sound like i'm 80 years old i get that it's our responsibility though and that's the way that god has placed us in their life there will be some that are smarter there will be some people that are more educated there will be people with degrees that are able to educate there are always people that for all intents and purposes are better at educating our children but that doesn't remove your responsibility to ensure that your child is raised in the way that they should go but perhaps well let me let me just continue the bible also t- talks about being a multi-generational family. That when your children leave out, your responsibility as a grandparent doesn't just end there. It continues on. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter four through nine kind of gives grandparents an understanding of what the role and responsibility is. But watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. As a grandparent, your responsibility is to continue to love and support and uplift and undergird the family. But you have a unique responsibility to remind them what God has done for your family. To bring back to the memory of people, your children and your grandchildren, what God is doing in their lives what God can do because what we can see what he already has done. Christ's legacy, there are so many people in this place right now that are struggling this morning because perhaps you've lost a, a parent. Perhaps you've moved away from them. Perhaps something in your life is, is keeping you away from having a relationship with a grandparent. I want to tell you something. Where the church steps in, if you look around, there are grandparents ready to go. There are parents ready to go. If you don't have a parent in your life that that can speak to you about God, there are parents here that will adopt you into their family. If if you don't have a husband and you need something done in in your home, or you want your children to be mentored in a godly way by another man, there's a church family for you. If you don't have a wife, hang around the church, you'll find a wife. What a great place. (laughs) You see, the church is part of the family community that God has ordained from creation. Now, I, I recognize that this is not a get up and shout kind of message. This is a message that lays the framework for the rest of our discussion for the month of September. But I think that what we've talked about this morning sheds light and gives example and gives definition to what the culture would try to bring as they would try to bring questions and and bring confusion to these issues. But the Bible, the word of God is so clear that you and I are here for each other, that the family is a real thing. The structure is ordained by God and that you and I, when we come together as a church to participate in the family, that we can fill in as a church family every gap that the enemy would try to make and create within our homes. Christ's legacy, we are family. Would you stand with me all, all over this place? This morning, I would like for you to go ahead and step out and Find your way to be with your families. Whoever you've come with as your family, would you just step out and grab a hold of them? And families, if you see somebody that's standing by themselves, would you just reach out and adopt them into your family for today? After all, that's what we do as family. We adopt people into the church family. I already told you how I want to continue, how I want to end. I want each one of us to affirm and to commit to each other that we're gonna be the family that God has ordained, that we are gonna to commit to submit to each other, to love each other, and to train our children together. Amen. Let's turn to one another right now and just talk to them. Look them in the eye and make that commitment and then pray for each other. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, God, for all that you've done in our families. Lord, our family is so important this morning. Lord, as we look and we recognize, Lord, the the family that you've given to us, Lord, we commit right now to submitting to one another to honoring, respecting, and obeying our parents, to restoring the order in our marriage, to speaking peace and love and joy inside our home. Lord, to honor you with the way we honor each other. Lord, I ask God that you'd move in a powerful way, God, by bringing healing back into our homes, Bring love back into our homes. Bring joy back into our homes. Lord, I pray, God, that you would do a work in our families so that we'd not only be healthy church, but a church made up of healthy families. Lord, we believe and we depend on you and your word, and we give you all the praise and glory. Now, Father, I pray, God, that you would take us in our commitments this morning that we make. And Lord, not just go out of this place and be a light to our community, but Lord, be a light in our homes. Lord, enable us, empower us, anoint us to do what you've called us to do. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.